Morning, everybody. Now, I've got something for you today. You're going to have to be very well behaved, children. Can you do that? This probably won't work logistically at all, but never mind. I've got these two tiny bits of metal just here. Really small. Can you see those? No. So I'm going to pass them round. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to start one over here. What should we do? We're going to send one that way. I'll go to the back and you can send it forwards, okay? So if I just, just have a look, have a feel, pass it on. I'll come right to the back. Tell you what, Ro, can I give you that to have a look at and then go and find someone in the back? And then you guys at the back, pass it back and forth and send it forwards. And hopefully by the end of the talk, I might get them back again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, please let there be no thieves in here this morning. (laughs) And as we look at your word, I pray, Lord, you would bless us. You would release us from the stuff of this world which binds us and traps us and stresses us. And you would release us into the amazing generosity of your kingdom and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So, good morning. Do I look dapper today? Yes. Thank you very much. Well, you see, Ron sent out a memo. He said, Evan, look, I'm making an effort week by week. It'd be nice if you could up your game a little bit. <laughs> so I sent one back and said, look, Ron, I can do my best, but I'm still in the process of getting fitter and losing weight. I don't think I can reach down to do the turn-ups <laughs> that you do. So I've got... I've got this far. Um, We're going to be talking today not about being dapper uh, or going for the middle-aged hipster look. Uh, We're going to be talking today about the thing which is quintessentially not British to talk about. We're going to be talking about giving money. Let me tell you about being British. I went to the barbers yesterday, which is one of the things I hate doing. Uh, because it's always Russian roulette. You never quite know what you're going to get. And I don't know how to tell them what I want. Well, I want my hair shorter. I'm a bloke. You know, I can't talk in sophisticated terms. And they want to know numbers and grades and which bit. And I don't know. I just want my beard trimming and I want my hair shorter, please. And I'll have a side party and that's about it. Anyway, so he sets to work on my beard, which I quite like normally, and he ruins it. Far too short, got a really cut line up here. I like it much lower. And I looked in the mirror and there was like a cut on my face here and there. That's very nice. Thank you very much indeed, I said. (laughs) And gave him a tip. I come home and I think, I really don't like what he's done with my beard. I can just shave it off. It's only a beard. Well, no, that would be a bit mean because he'd put a lot of hard work into it. So here we are today, being British. There's things that we do as British people which are just indecipherable to the rest of the world. And there's stuff which for us are just no-go areas, such as talking about what we do with our money. We don't like to talk about giving. We don't want to talk to one another about how much income we have or what we spend. We don't want people to know the details and the ins and outs. It's very, very private to us. When I was a vicar uh, a couple of churches ago, there was a nursery as part of our church. We had a whole building for a nursery and the nursery was right next to 
the vicarage and they shared the same sewage, the same sewers, pipe work and all that sort of thing. But the nursery kept putting baby wipes down the loos and they kept blocking up the drains. And the drain cover was on our driveway. And so one day we had this huge blockage and the wardens came round and a couple of handymen from church came round and a couple of other spectators came along as well just for the fun of it. And we lifted up the the manhole cover on the driveway and we're staring down into this sewer and there's nothing coming through it and uh, they're ramming rods up and down and so on and so forth and they say Evan would you just run in and flush your loos for us so we can get something coming through here so I ran in and I flushed the loos and I ran back outside and there we were all stood around this manhole cover open and coming through past us and there's about eight of us stood around looking in was toilet paper and poo and all the stuff that you put down toilets And I'm thinking, this is great. I've got all these guys from church staring at my poo. (laughs) It was one of my high points in ministry. (laughs) And that's a bit like what it is when we say, hey, let's talk about what we do with our money. No one (laughs) wants to have that experience of somebody else coming along and saying, this is what you should be doing with your money. But that's what we're going to do. But hopefully it won't be such an awful experience as as that one was for me. You see, the thing about money is that it traps us. It binds us. It causes us stress and anxiety. And money touches every part of our lives. It covers everything from where we buy coffee to where we go on holiday to how we're paying for our car to what income we have, what debts we have, how much we've spent on a waistcoat or a tie. The stuff we do with money says everything about who we are, how we live our lives, what our values are, our commitments, our priorities. And so to lay that out before someone is not an easy thing to do. And to be told by somebody else what you should be doing with your money is really personally invasive and impacting. I'm not going to tell you this morning what to do. What I want to happen this morning is for all of us as a church to be released from the burden of money. So if you just want to give me all of your money, then I'll release it. No. (laughs) I want us to stop stressing about it because let me tell you, I have been monumentally stressed about money the last few years. I'll give you a, a bit of a potted history. All of my adult life, from the moment when I was independent, when I was in my early 20s and first married, I was at Bible college and we had very little income indeed. But from then through to just a few years ago, I always believed just simply that I should tithe. That's, for me, that meant 10% of my income went back to God. It went back to a church or Christian ministry in one way or another. As I got older and carried on through life, as I was working full-time in church as a vicar, I just always had this passionate belief that I should be giving 10% of what I had coming in, going straight back to God. And that was before taxes, before bills, before everything. Not the stuff that's left when you've spent everything else out, but the stuff that is first, say, right, that, I'm going to take 10% of that and just give that and forget about it. Let's just imagine that I'd had a 10% pay cut. It's just, let's just do that. 
and then I'm not going to worry about it. Part of the reason for that was when I was uh, 21 living in Israel, I was really shocked that this, this passionate, spirit-filled Israeli Christian that I knew, she bought a lottery ticket in Israel. I was like, oh, you've done what? And she said, I tithe. I give 10% of my money to God. And what's left, I don't feel burdened by and I feel I can do as I want with it, within boundaries and limits of reasonableness and so on. But she said, I, I'm conscious that I'm giving God the first of everything I've got and the rest I can enjoy how I like. And that impacted me in a way. I didn't start buying lottery tickets then, but I did think she's got a point. Anyway, so I lived my life, I tried to, with that sense of giving God first and then not worrying about it. And I've always been good at not worrying about money. To the point where actually it was a bit of a shambles because I never really cared too much about it. Never had very much. Vickers don't get very much money. And... uh, so there wasn't an awful lot for me to play around with but we always seemed to make it through just about and then a few years ago everything fell apart and I lost uh, my ministry and job and house and income and everything and I thought Lord what now only at that point I didn't really think Lord what now because at that point I was massively angry with God and I'd lost everything you guys, I think, have heard my testimony enough times. You know that life just fell apart for me and I was furious with God and terrified and anxious and stressed and everything. And I would love to have said, Lord, what now? But it was more a case of, Lord, how dare you? And so I stopped giving. I didn't have anything to give, so it wasn't too tricky, but I stopped giving. It was one of the deep core values of my life was that I gave and I stopped I stopped because I was angry I was hurting I was unsure I was uncertain but I did have a dollop of cash left I had a dollop of cash in savings and I had this choice two ways to go I could either use that money to put myself and my kids in a house and just live off of it for up to a year just about And in that year, hope I found a job somewhere, but then I'd be stuffed, I'd have nothing left. Or I could take what money I had, throw myself on the mercy of my parents, move me and my children into their house, and use that money to set up a business. And the business, as you know, was to serve the churches in the UK. And I did feel God saying, just trust me one more time. And I was like, you're having a laugh. But I did. And it's been hairy, it's been ridiculous. My parents have taken the brunt of that decision with us uh, in their home and financially uh, they've supported us through thick and thin. Thank you. Couldn't have done it without them. But it's been terrifying. And all that journey I have done without God in a sense because I've stopped giving, I've stopped trusting until about this time last year when things started, I suppose, to turn around for me. We'll come back to some of that story in a moment. Will you turn with me or have a look on the screens, if it's up there, at Leviticus chapter, 22, uh, chapter 23 and verse 22. Leviticus 23 verse 22 says... 
When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. That's how God speaks, by the way. When God says, I am the Lord your God, at the end of something, it's basically saying, this is really important. Would you please take notice for a moment? When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Hands up all those who are farmers with fields in Sunbury. Anyone? Anyone? No? Okay, so we can ignore that verse. Well, it would be nice if we could, but we can't. We all have a harvest. It just looks different. We have a harvest in our bank accounts. How many of you, like me, reap to the very edges of your bank account every single month? How many of you reap to the edge and into the next person's field a little bit as well? Nearly all of us live a lifestyle where we have a finite amount coming in and we spend out finite plus a little bit more. Not necessarily every month, but quite often. We're very comfortable with the idea of credit and debt. And we think, well, this is just me. I've got to look after myself. I've got this much coming in. That's what I've got to live on. That's it. I'll do my best. One of the things that I've been doing since January is systematically carving out everything I can possibly carve out for my life that I don't need. The financial burdens that I've carried and lived with, I've been going to town on ditching them, getting rid of them, selling them, cancelling them. And the freedom that's brought me has been immense. Christians Against Poverty. There's a big sign at the back of church, weighed down by debt, question mark, just this week, one of my friends on Facebook who lives up in one of my old parishes, she, after years of being burdened with debt, like me, she's a single parent with kids, she's lived with debt, low income, and she's finally, through the work of Christians Against Poverty, got clear of debt. And she was on Facebook going, yes, whoopee, fantastic, Jesus has done this, this is amazing. We get into debt quite easily Getting out of debt is very hard. We live a lifestyle where we reap to the edge of our harvest field week after week and month after month and we don't think about the lifestyle choices that we're making. When we go into Costa, and one of my great uh, vices is coffee. Going to Costa or Starbucks, four pounds for a coffee quite easily. Do that ten times a month. What's that, just a couple of times a week? That's 40 quid. 40 quid, 50 quid without even thinking about it. No problem at all. Actually, that's quite a lot of money, isn't it? Nothing wrong with having coffee. Nothing wrong at all. Praise the Lord. But we have to think what we're doing and do we reap to the edges of our fields. Flick with me now to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Matthew 6, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, 
do not worry. <laughs> That's a great one when you've got an anxiety disorder and depression. <laughs> Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. So let me just stop. In case anyone thinks I'm making light of people with anxiety disorders and depression, that's me. I'm talking about me there, not uh, having a go at anybody else. That's been part of my story, part of my journey. And I can tell you it's such an enormous burden and it breaks you every day. Passage, Bible, Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Ron, you need to stop worrying about what you're <clears throat> Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In the middle of last year, I had a breakthrough in which I started to get clear of the anger and the anxiety which had controlled my life for so long and as I moved on from that place I started to rekindle my relationship with Jesus to the point where I started to want Jesus more and more each day January this year I was helped by a friend to be able to just take some time off of work and to focus on sorting out all the practicalities of my life all the burdens and the debts and the so on and so forth and get things shipshape. And by the end of that month, I was completely broke still. And I got on my knees and for the first time, properly, I said, Lord, I can't do this on my own anymore. Please help. Please sort this out now because I'm exhausted and I was looking at my bank account, I was £100 away from being at the max overdraft I could afford. I knew what I was expecting to come in that week and it wasn't going to be enough. And I'd had enough. That was beginning of February. By today, apart from what I owe my parents, which is quite a lot, <laughs> which I'll be paying them back at some point in the future, I'm debt-free. Amazing. And, and I've got cash in the bank to start to structure and process forwards the next step of the journey. But it all happened and was all released when finally I sought first the kingdom of God. 
Not before, not through all my striving and all my stressing and all my anxiety. It didn't happen until I was on my knees and empty and broken. And finally, I could reach out to Jesus again and say, please help. But here's the thing. Have you seen that, um, have you seen that example where you show someone faith? You have a volunteer, two volunteers, and one catches the other. And someone falls back into the arms of the other. You seen that? And you always want the person behind to like step back, drop them, but they never do. It's very disappointing. So this is what we do with money. So this is us, Jesus, that's the idea. And we're meant to fall back. But actually what we tend to do with our money, we do it in all sorts of things. We do that with you know, health and direction in life. Where do you want me to go, Lord? Let's trust Jesus. Ooh, lovely. Ooh, sorry. We do it in all sorts of things, but we don't do it with money. With money, we tend to literally stand here on the stage of life on our own. We don't act in a way which trusts Jesus at all. We stick him out the way. We keep him in reserve for other stuff, for other things in life. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? Blah, blah, blah. Look at the birds. They don't sow or reap, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Do you act with your money in such a way that you are actively saying to the Lord, I'm going to trust you with this because I can't get through without you. Or do you act with your money in such a way that says, I've got all these bills and I've got this much coming in, that much going out. I will look after this myself. Neat and tidy, really careful, good steward. Don't need Jesus to help me out. I've got it sorted. I'm not going to give any more away because I need to just look after this. Or do you give... And give so it hurts. Do you give so that you have to trust? So that you have to fall back and say, Lord, please catch me. So often what we do with money is we live in such a way that God doesn't need to show up because we're going to do it on our own. The question for us as a church, how do we live in such a way that we are living as people of faith with our finances. It's a question for all of us to ponder. So how do we live as people of faith? How do we actively trust Jesus with our cash? We start by not harvesting to the edge of our fields. And then we think, what am I giving? What am I, how am I impacting the kingdom with the finances that I have? Am I keeping it all for myself? keeping my nose clean, keeping myself out of trouble? Have I got enough left for the alien and the poor, the stuff in Leviticus? Is anything of my harvest going to impact those who are most needy in our world today? Church of England churches like this one are great because you can come to a Church of England church and know that because the Church of England is so big, it's historical, it's got loads of land and lots of buildings and it's funded by the government, you don't need to give anything to the church because it just gets paid for you. Except none of that's true. The Church of England is big and it is historic 
It does have land, it does have buildings, but not a single penny of that really comes into the active ministry and work of a parish. We've got buildings to look after and develop and use for God's kingdom here, and we're the only people who are responsible for that happening. Staff to be paid, ministries to happen, tea and coffee, outreach, food banks. If we want to see the kingdom prospering in this place, then we are the people, we are the only people who are going to see that happening. It's one of my values is to see local churches thriving. I want to be a part of a local, real, earthy church that is going to impact people. And this church is doing that. And that's why I'm here. And I want my giving to come back into a church where I can see what's happening. And yes, there are global mission fields and we should be giving overseas as well. I'm sure that's true. But this is also a mission field. This parish is as vital a mission field as anywhere else in the world. And there's not many churches that cover this parish. There's not many global organisations coming here to spread the gospel. There's not many organisations who are going to come and feed our poor. No one's going to come in and teach our children about Jesus or minister to our elderly. It's just us. We're all there is. So, I've told you that my take on giving was to give 10%. And I've told you that I stopped. And it's really hypocritical of me to stand here and talk to you about giving when I haven't got that sorted yet. But that's my next step. My next step is to get back to where I was before and say, okay, Lord, how can I not harvest to the edge of my fields and how can I live as though I'm trusting you with my money again? And I've still got issues, I've still got residual questions and doubts and hurt and pain and uncertainties. And so what I'm committed to doing is starting. I'm just going to start somewhere with something and start to see if I can just gradually increase that back to where I want to be. It's about taking baby steps of faith. Let's have a look at someone who took a baby step of faith. You'll know who I'm sure in Mark chapter 12 verse 41 Mark 12 41 we read that really reassuring passage about the widow's offering because it's here that we get to read that it really doesn't matter how much you give you can give God just a little amount and that's absolutely fine verse 41 Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Let me just pause before we look at that passage a bit more. I need to say something vital to our understanding about giving. The amount that you give directly affects how much Jesus loves you. Oh, hang on. No, sorry. The amount that you give has absolutely no bearing whatsoever on how much Jesus loves you. If you're a millionaire and you give a miserly 50p, 
Or if you're living on benefits and you give everything that you have got, Jesus is going to love you. The amount of grace that you experience, your inheritance in the kingdom, your certainty of salvation is totally unaffected by any financial transactions between you and Jesus. You just can't buy your way into God's good books. He loves you as you are and how you are. So please don't think that anything about this is about you earning favour in God's sight or him loving you somehow more because you've reached some milestone of giving. He doesn't have a thermometer next to your name. You're good to go. He died for you on the cross while you were still a sinner before you gave a penny. When he turned to the thief on the cross next to him and the thief said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And I don't think he said, but please would you just enter your pin number first. (laughs) Back to the widow. The thing about the widow's story and her, the widow's might it's known as, this tiny offering that she put in, it was worthless in real terms. But not to her. It was everything she had. Where have those coins got to? Has everyone seen one of the coins? Touched them? Cool. If you haven't, there's somebody at the back who hasn't. Could you mind just taking it across? If you haven't, just put your hand up so somebody can... Uh, one over here, and I thought there was one. Oh, no. Okay. Just over here. Thank you. These, let me tell you what those are. Oops. He says, these were minted in 103 to 76 BC. These coins existed before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They were minted uh, in the time of Alexander Janius in Jerusalem. These are genuine widow's mites. These are the two coins, maybe not exactly the two coins. But you know, they could have been because these existed when Jesus was teaching this stuff. And that widow took those two coins, all that she had left to live on, and she threw them in the temple treasury. And she said, Lord. You see, the thing about the widow's might is not that it's okay just to give a little tiny bit and God won't notice. It's actually that widow, she gave everything. She gave everything. She had nothing left. She didn't have parents with a house to move into. She didn't have a benefit system. Although, if you read in Acts chapter 6, there was some sort of benefit system for widows where the church is doling out food and support for the widows. But that widow... She took all she had left, those two coins. Imagine that is all you had to live on today. And you gave it away. She gave her whole field. And yet she had nothing. And Jesus said that she gave more than those who had great wealth. Because maybe to those with great wealth, it didn't mean anything when they gave away. What are we doing? How are we living? How are we giving? Are we giving so it hurts? Are we giving so it looks like we're trusting Jesus, not to others, but to ourselves? Because when we start to live like that, then we start to get free of the shackles 
We start to get free of the debts. We start to get free of that word, those words we sung in that song. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrificed them to his blood. I got rid of my motorbike. Oh. I loved my motorbike. I got rid of it. It was one of the most releasing things ever. I really feel the Lord is saying to Stuart right now, he should give me his motorbike. Yeah. <laughs> what are the things that charm you most? Is it the holidays or the cars or the motorbikes or the, uh, or the home or the whatever it is, the, the Sky TV packages or the things? None of them are a problem. None of them are a problem. You're allowed those things. But don't reap to the edge of your field if there's nothing left for the poor, if there's nothing left for the kingdom, if the 10% becomes what's left 10%, are you living with faith to trust Jesus to catch you with your finances? Because if you're not, then you're trapped. If you're not, then you're burdened. You won't earn your way to, kingdom, to the kingdom by doing it. You're already in the kingdom the question is, what are you doing there? Where are your values? Where's your love? Where's your treasure? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I long to be in a church where I'm surrounded by people who are released from the trappings of this world to fight for the kingdom. And people who are set on fire with a love for Jesus so they're not burdened with the burdens of today in this world. As I have been, and still am, but things are turning round. Will you join me in the offering of the widow's might? Or if you can't quite do that, then the 10% tithe. And if you can't quite do that, then join me in filling in one of these forms and just starting to give something and saying, Jesus, I'm going to trust you today for my sake, for your sake, for this kingdom's sake. Amen.